The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. Your host is Rochelle McLaughlin. It's time to experience radical well-being. Learn to nourish your heart, body, and mind. Manifest your power in the present. And learn to live your life's infinite potential. Now, here's your host, Rochelle McLaughlin. Welcome, everyone. I had the great pleasure of getting to meet and to talk to human potentialist and founder of the Enneagram Prison Project, Susan Olesic, on December 22nd of last year. And if you happen to miss that amazing episode, you will definitely want to go back into the archives and listen to that. Susan talks about the Enneagram Prison Project, and it's a great introduction to today's show and the nine-month series that Susan will be co-hosting with me that is beginning today. And the series is titled Nine Prisons, One Key. In her work, Susan Olasek finds herself at as frequently in actual prisons as she finds herself among Fortune 500 leaders, mirroring for her clients the virtual prisons we all create for ourselves and using herself as her own best material. The thing about the Enneagram is that it doesn't discriminate. It is an incisive map for anyone and everyone who is willing to let it guide them back to their true self. Over the course of this exploratory Nine Prisons One Key series on Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio, Susan will be featuring real-life exemplars from vastly different walks of life. We will be taking a deep dive into one of these nine personal prisons every month, leaving you with the compassionate and continual reminder that it is us who holds the key to our real freedom. And so without greater ado, allow me to introduce Susan Olesek. Born out aside of Boston, Susan spent her formative years in Asia with occasional forays into places of extreme suffering like the walled city of Hong Kong and the streets of Bombay. These experiences made deep impressions on her Enneagram type one ideological heart. And by the time she entered Occidental to study sociology, Susan's resolve to somehow make a contribution to the world was embedded in who she was becoming. This determination percolated while she raised three boys to begin to study the Enneagram, a process that took her deeply into herself and the great losses suffered in her own childhood. In 2009, Susan emerged hopeful and certified, full of ideals with just enough self-belief to accept the challenging invitation to teach the Enneagram to 100 inmates in the little prison in Texas. This decision changed the trajectory of her personal and professional life forever, and Susan delights in the known yet vast unfolding of the Enneagram Prison Project. And you can know more about the project at EnneagramPrisonProject.org. So welcome, Susan, back to Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. And thank you so much for weaving this beautiful series together for us all. I know we will all learn so much over the course of the next few weeks and months. And I'm very excited to meet and to learn with your you and your amazing guests each week. Thank you, Rochelle. Thank you so much for having me back and for your confidence and 
letting us expand this into nine glorious months. I always like to say, my family thanks you for having me. Everyone in my life gets, you know, a lot of me talking about the Enneagram. So I'm really delighted for the platform and I'm super excited that I have two guests, um, both Kim and Susan, sorry, Sue, are the same Enneagram type as I am. And I like to say safety in numbers. So I brought along some reinforcements to help me to illustrate our first type, which is type one um, called the perfectionist reformer. Oh, it's so fantastic. Susan, if you could just start by talking just a bit about your vision for the series and then introducing your guests, and then we can dive right into this first, um, ser- the first show, the first, first episode of the Nine Prisons, One Key series. Absolutely. Well, each week, in case you're just joining us, we'll do a little recap on, on how the Enneagram works so you're not lost too much. But I like to say that it takes some time to understand ourselves through using this system, this map of ego structures. And um, you have to be kind of patient and very kind to yourself in the process. So we think it's a really helpful way to take a um, slow pace into learning the Enneagram. And just by looking at one type at a time, we get a pretty rich um, perspective on how that one personality style tends to see the world. And um, we'll be unfolding that as we go. Um, thank you for the introduction, Rochelle. It was really robust and um, and cool to hear. I, I have started this Um, project called Enneagram Prison Project in April of 2012. And it's about teaching the incarcerated the um, patterns of their personalities and how we all get in trouble with them. And it's been something that's really um, impacted me as a teacher and as um, as a human being, getting to sit with people who are in prisons who get stuck in these patterns. But I also have a consulting practice where I teach the Enneagram in corporations and high schools and churches and one-on-one coaching and all over the place. And honestly, you guys, I just teach the same exact system because it's a, it's a human system and it doesn't really matter where we find ourselves looking at the Enneagram. It's all relevant. It cuts across, you know, gender and age and um, prison bars. So I'm, I'm really honored to have two guests from um, from all kinds of walks of life and one of them um, has spent some time incarcerated and that's where we met and another one has spent some time in prison in her own way um, even though we didn't meet behind bars so we'll we'll introduce the two of them in, in just a second but is that enough to get you started Rochelle? Absolutely I'll just let you take the take the uh, mic Okay, and um, and so for those of you that are really new to it, the Enneagram is a is a psychological system that helps to um, isolate and represent the repeating patterns that we find ourselves in psychologically, emotionally, and behaviorally. So it's actually a pretty um, amazing tool to use because it it calls out the the habits that we have that are in our mind and in the beginning it's hard to realize that we have that we have these patterns because we are so fiercely identified with them and we like we start to feel as though the things that we do are the things that we are and um, one of the most important parts of looking at ourselves with the Enneagram is to simultaneously be having a practice where we can watch ourselves and um, because in the beginning if you know somebody if if somebody Uh, yells at you when you find yourself yelling back and that's just what happens all the time then well that's a pattern and if you if you find yourself doing something that you don't want to be doing and you know you're doing it you can actually watch yourself doing it but sometimes you can't quite stop doing it 
And I think that the good news is that there's a part of us that's doing the watching. And that is what we call, well, it's called a lot of things. So your inner observer, your, your true nature, your higher self, your essence, it's that divine spark in you, that part of you that can watch is who you really are. But we need to give that part of ourselves a little room sometimes. And um, often it, we have to go in there and, and almost pull stuff away from it or extract it out. So um, having a, a practice where we can be quiet inside of ourselves and let our minds calm down and let our feelings calm down and be sort of behind all that other stuff that comes up is an essential part of seeing who we really are. We don't know to do that in the beginning. So um, one of um, w- w- this one of the, the ways that I, I work on my own personality type and the parts that I find difficult inside of myself is by having a practice. It's what we teach in prison. It's what I teach wherever I'm using the Enneagram. And I know that that's a robust part of your life too, Rochelle. Yes. So I'd like to introduce um, the two type ones that we have that we get to learn from today. And the first person I'd like to introduce you to is Kim Garlinghouse Jones. And Kim, like I said, is a type one. She's a mother of four. She's a breast cancer survivor. She's the founder of a private school called Compass School. She's a founder of a business called See To It. She is a, a, a force. And um, she's also very um, um, familiar with the Enneagram because we've been studying it together as moms on the path and known each other for years and years. I just really wanted to welcome you, Kim. Thank you so much, Susan. Thank you for being here, and um, and thank you for your uh, what I know you'll already bring because Kim has, has sat on many panels and done much Enneagram work with me over the years. So um, I also like to introduce Sue Lambert, who is a fellow Type One. She's a grandma. She's a former property manager, and she is a newly enrolled ambassador in mentorship for Enneagram Prison Project. And I was delighted to meet Sue at a women's class in. Uh, correctional facility in San Mateo who took our Enneagram Prison Project program on the inside. I think it was four times. Is that right, Sue? Yeah. Yeah. And just just get a little closer to the mic if you can while she was in custody. And now she's engaged in deepening her Enneagram studies. And um, part of the vision for Enneagram Prison Project is to um, go after and and recruit more teachers. And I believe Sue has teacher written all over her. So really, really delighted to have both of you who've been looking at yourself through the Enneagram for a long time. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. And um, so for people um, that are just trying to understand this whole type one thing, I just will describe a little bit about the personality. Type ones are the are the type that come to teach the rest of us about goodness and um, about what's right. Type ones are very idealistic. They're the utopian triad, I will say, on the Enneagram. They, part of that, they, um, they see how things could be. And at the same time, because the world is not often the way that we feel like we could see it could be, um, we, it's accompanied by a sense of real frustration, chronic frustration that it's not. And um, type one sits on the top of the Enneagram diagram along with type eight and nine. And these are all part of what is referred to as the anger triad or the instinctual triad. And what that means is that with these, there's three different centers of intelligence that go along with the Enneagram. And um, the, the center of intelligence um, in the instinctual center um, is the way we orient and the way that we filter the world almost. And anger is one of the most essential instincts, one of the most important ways that we know if things are okay with us, if, if things are, are um 
are fair? Is it right? Are, are we getting what we need? And are we getting what we want? Do we have our autonomy? Do we feel like we're in integrity? Do we have our dignity? All of those those things are how um, we register that with our instinctual intelligence. And so what we know about eight, nine, and one is that these are the types that really need to come to um, some understanding of the anger. It sounds so cliche, but they, they really got to get in touch with it because for type one, the anger can be really offline. It actually gets quite suppressed and pushed down. And the young one, as they're growing up, gets this idea that it's not okay to be angry and um, anger is for bad people. And it might not even be that overt, but definitely feels like I'm not allowed. And there's a lot of kind of holding myself against things in type one um, territory. So, um, one of the first things that we notice about type 1s is that there's a real attention to correcting and improving. And this anger is the instinct that tells us how it could be. And this this natural sort of impulse to try to make it okay in type 1 is where that is where that comes out. So, Kim, I'll start with you. I'm just wondering, do you notice this pattern of wanting to improve things or correct things in your own life? Can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. Um, unfortunately, it, it seeps through absolutely everything I do. I saw it in my, myself even just last night. My um, mother is visiting from Kansas, and she was loading the dishwasher, and um, I was absolutely replacing every dish she put in. <laughs> and I thought to myself, oh, my gosh, I can't even let the dishwasher be loaded in a certain way. So I, I absolutely do see this, and I don't understand why other people don't want to um, come along and do it the right way. <laughs> obviously, there is a right way to do things. <laughs> Yes. Well, especially inside of us and from dishwashers to all kinds of other things. And how else do you see that pattern going? Because I know that it gets quite lofty and ideological too, well beyond the dishwasher. Can you speak to that? Sure, absolutely. Um, I have worked a lot as a medical advocate and I, um, I watch as people suffer and try to find their way around the healthcare system. And I definitely feel as if I can help ease other people's suffering by my own ability to intervene in their um, experience. And um, I think that I can offer a lot in that, but I also know that I can uh, be received as um, a force as well. And so I have to often catch myself and temper that um, that expression so that it's more palatable from the people who are receiving it. Yeah, and it's really honest. So I just love your language about wanting to catch yourself in there. And can you say anything about how you do that? Uh, yes, I think that I've learned over time, and a lot of it's from feedback from um, that I've gotten from family and friends who have said, you know, when you say it that way, it makes me feel like I am wrong and that I am less than you. And um, I recognize that if I can come about it with a, this is where I come from and this is what I'm thinking rather than globally, this is the way it should be done. Mm. Um, but that's a hard thing to do in times because, as you mentioned, I think the anger is likes to seep out. And I don't even think I'm always aware mm-hmm. that I'm expressing um, anger, even though I think it is so right below the surface for me. It's so honest. I really appreciate your language, too, because it's, of course, it's, it's something that we can change if we're aware of it. But these are unconscious patterns that come, you know, barreling out of us and we often don't even know. It's so curious how we often... All of the different types, all personalities, all people tend to create 
the environment around us to actually reflect the very thing we're trying to avoid inside of ourselves. The worst possible thing for one would be that we would be wrong. And so it, I think as a defense, we, we tend to be on the offense and, and that people can give you that feedback that they feel like they're being made wrong is really an honest um, reflection back to us. So thank you for sort of, you know, dropping it down to that. I think it's it's a great place to pick up too and just invite you, Sue, into this conversation. Can you speak to how your attention um, ends up landing on correcting things, improving things? What can you add? Well, um, let me know if you can't hear me okay. But for me, um, I, I can relate to a lot of things that Kim said. It's it's not even even a situation where you have a chance to think about correcting it, it automatically kicks in and you think, well, I need to correct this. This needs to be set up. This needs to be arranged. It needs to be better. It'll be better when it's corrected. Um, and I'm the one that's going to have to be the one that corrects it, obviously, because it's not being done by somebody else. So <laughs> let me make this work. I'll make it better for everybody. Mm-hmm. So it's like, if there is a goal, there's a goal that and when I get this in place, when I get the rules done, when I get this written so that it fits everybody's situation, then I've accomplished something. And I almost can get euphoric over that. Like, whoa, you know, hey, look what I did. And um, but there's an anger when you're doing this that you're suppressing. Well, when I say you, me. Right. So when I'm when I'm doing these things, it's like, okay, well, I'm going to do it, but I'm not happy about it deep down inside, and I'm going to be angry about it. But I'm just going to hold that anger inside myself because, you know, the end result's going to be good for everybody. So I'll just hold the anger. Well, and I think and, what you're speaking to with the holding of the anger is so much the problem for all of us in that anger triad, and definitely including myself, but for anybody, right? The anger is not the issue. The issue is holding it and pushing it down and not allowing it to just fully move through us and so we get the information and then we can move into some action the action ends up being against the self it's like it gets really toxic in there susan and everyone we are going to need to dive into a short break and we will be right back after these messages and 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 continue our conversation okay thank you Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Do you know that you were born to experience revolutionary wellness? Have you wondered why extraordinary physical, mental, and emotional health has eluded you? Do you know that your infinite personal power resides right here in the present moment? People all over the world are awakening to their birthright. Revolutionary Wellness. Subscribe today at revolutionarywellnessmagazine.com and begin your journey into the mystery. Engage with experts in topics of nourishment, wisdom, and empowerment. Develop mental clarity. Live wholeheartedly and be empowered to live an authentic life of passion and purpose. The world, now more than ever, need you to feel revolutionarily well. Explore and integrate new ways of being. Learn to access your own unique treasure, the wisdom that is right there inside you, waiting to be revealed. Experience a renewed, vivid, and nourishing relationship with yourself and the world around you. Log on and subscribe to Revolutionary Wellness Magazine today and experience the publication devoted to your journey toward extraordinary health and well-being. RevolutionaryWellnessMagazine.com 
Children with chronic conditions shouldn't have to just live with it. There are many alternative options that can reduce, reverse, or even eliminate the effects of chronic illness in our children. On Kids Health Revolution Radio with host Deborah Morgan, we'll explore these alternatives to help you take care of your children. It's time to take our kids' health back. Listen every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. Rochelle is a clinician of mind-body medicine, lifestyle change, and self-healing. She is a life mentor, author, and publisher of Revolutionary Wellness Magazine. You can reach Rochelle at experiencerevolutionarywellness.com. Now back to Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. The Enneagram is an incisive tool for self-knowing. It gets to the heart of our recurring patterns of thoughts, feelings, and behaviors, those things we repeatedly do, some of which, which we wish we didn't. Our habits are so hard to drop precisely because they are conditioned into our survival strategies as children. And we employ the same set of tactics when we are two or when we are 22 and may still be using them at 62. And actually, we are all in a prison of our own making in the ways we suffer for our personalities and sometimes we really think our habits are all of who we are but actually we are so much more thank goodness people can grow and change but we cannot change what we cannot understand and what we cannot see seeing what we habitually do as only a part of who we fully are gives us a flexibility inside that choice the freedom to put down the things that aren't working and expand my guest today is Susan Olesic and you can connect with Susan and sign up on her mailing list to get updates and support her healing work at enneagramprisonproject.org and susanolesic.com. And welcome back, everyone. Why don't you just, um, Susan, uh, bring us back to the conversation that you um, were facilitating. Mm -hmm. Great, Rochelle. Thank you. Um, You know, Sue, you were just touching on something that I think is so important for everybody, which is that um, it feels better when we do something in our personality, get a little hit out of that, a little dopamine. There's there's some chemistry that gets triggered in our brains that happens with our behavior and that it takes the edge off of whatever onslaught of our ego is going on. And um, that's that's sort of part of the the addiction of it. We're all fiercely addicted to our personalities because it takes us away from being present to ourselves for just a little while. And um, and I think uh, what I'd like to explore a little bit with that is more of the anger piece. And maybe we'll just stay with you, Sue, if you can say a little bit more about how when you're correcting something, improving something, how that um, how that can make you feel better. Okay, well, um, it can make you feel better because you succeeded in working on something with your time to better better it for other people. But for me, for many years, I suppressed the anger, and it had to come out somewhere. So I, I had never been in trouble. I had never been in jail. I had never been arrested in my life until I just pretty much had a breakdown and I'd always deal with that anger with food, alcohol, other habits that eventually altered me so much that I wasn't in my, my right mind, so to speak. Mm -hmm. 
and I ended up getting in trouble. But the, the anger that we suppress, that I learned about this at this age, I'm learning about my personality, um, has to escape somehow. It has to get out of you somehow. And although I would get a feeling of good, I would work on projects 60, 70, 80 hours a week my whole life. And they'd be great projects in my career. And I would feel great about it. I covered all the bases, but a lot of it, a lot of my relationships and my family, my personal relationships all went by the wayside because I was so focused on trying to do the right thing, trying to make it right, that I didn't even see what I was doing to the rest of my life because right. that was my focus. Right. So, so although there is a good feeling when you do something right, the feeling doesn't last that long. That's it's right. A good, it's a good feeling for the moment or the week or the day or when the project's brought up or whatever it might be. Right. But it, it doesn't stay long. And then that, and that anger you've suppressed is still inside of you trying to figure out what to do with itself. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, one of the, one of the um, people that taught me so much about anger is one of my teachers, Russ Hudson. And I remember him saying that, you know, you can say a lot of things about type one because of this criticality that we have inside of ourselves. There's, a, there's an inner critic riding around inside of type one, this like fierce voice judging us ourselves constantly. And then when we get a little tired of ourselves, it turns outward and looks at the rest of the world and says, you're not doing so good either. Um, and he, so you can say that ones are angry. You can say that we're judgmental and you can, you can say that we're um, even objectifying and other uh, obje- of other people. And that's unfortunately sometimes true, but you can never say about a type one that they don't care. And that the anger is, is in service of something that usually we care a lot about. And I would invite you into the, um, to this thread, Kim, about, the emotional driver of the anger is after we're after integrity and we're, we're so frustrated when people don't get it. Can you um, add something from your own experience about that? Sure. I can think of <laughs> examples. I'm trying to come up with a good one. I think, you know, looking back, um, and I know when I went through the process of trying to discover what personality type I was, um, I thought a lot about that. Um, inner voice that really haunted me most of the time. Um, the inner voice that, after leaving any social setting, would make would um, make me pause and think, "Oh, how did I mess up? What did I say? What did I not say? What what are um, how could I have done it better?" Um, but I also think that um, it was what drove me, even as a, a teenager, to try to make the world a better place. And I think. Um, when a good friend of mine was hit in the uh, front of my high school crossing the street because there wasn't a crosswalk, I went on a crusade to try to get the um, city to add a uh, official crosswalk with a light so that um, that wouldn't happen to anybody in the future. Mm-hmm. So I think, um, you know, trying to improve the world around me, but of course that's always around, I'm always trying to improve things according to my plan. And I think, some of my work has been to sort of accept that there isn't a right way that life evolves with or without um, our efforts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's a great example about taking this just, you know, violating anger that you can feel inside of yourself and literally uh, 
channeling it to do something for the greater good of so many. And I know your orientation is is very social in, in lots of places. And Sue, do you have anything that you would add to this emotional driver of of having wanting to have integrity and feeling frustrated by the things around you? Anything that um, comes to mind for you? Well, yes. Um, that frustration that I carried with me my entire life. Um, I never knew what, what was what was wrong. I thought I was doing the right thing. You think you're doing the right thing by working on the cause or working on the issue. But there comes a point in time where it's too much. It's just too much for a person, a type one like myself, to take. And you have to start to realize, and I've learned this through the classes I've taken in jail and incarcerated, where I never thought I would be in my whole life, uh, in, in subsequent classes after, after I was released with, uh, with you and the EPP. The thing is, is that it's okay that things aren't perfect. And I never realized that. Mm. It's, okay, it's okay that things don't have to be perfect. It's okay. There is a gray area. Because all my life it was white or black, white or black. There was no gray area. It was right or wrong. And it took me this long in this situation to realize that it's just being human and there is a gray area and that's all right. That's acceptable. And that's what I try and practice now. Right. You know, I think we all come away from our childhoods with this deficiency that there's something um, wrong and often we we conclude that it's about ourselves. And the truth is none of us were parented perfectly. None of us had perfect childhoods, even if, you know, and I'm a mom, I know that both of you are moms and Rochelle's a mom, that we all have these ideas about how we are trying to love our children. We're doing the best we can, but we are flawed. And so our children have that experience and we had that experience. And instead of realizing that there's something about our parents or the environment, there's far too big of concepts for us to get as kids, we just internalize it. And for type one, we really go hard on ourselves. We are so convinced that we're condemnable and that we're striving all the time to be perfect. And um, and we run a number on ourselves by doing that. And I'm, I'm just wondering, um, in some ways, you know, this pattern, it it gives us the idea that it's helping us to survive. We get these little hits of dopamine by, by seeing ourselves as m- more um, responsible or having more integrity than the average person, but um, it makes the struggle inside even harder and harder because, of course, we make mistakes too and we feel like we can't and it goes on and on. I'm wondering, Sue, how did this pattern help you to survive your childhood? Well, uh, in my childhood, uh, you know, there was, there was, you know, it was a, a dysfunctional family, they call it. You know, it was uh, uh, parents weren't around, uh, alcohol, um, pretty much on my own. I started working when I was 12 years old. I had a 36-hour-a-week job, and I worked since then my entire life. Um, and I made my own rules. I, I, would, I made my own curfew, my own homework rules, my own this. And so I kind of raised myself in that sense. Mm-hmm. And so being able to do that, I, I was correcting myself. But then I'd also punish myself. Right. And, and the punishment started. And I never could live up to my own expectations of myself. Mm-hmm. And right. that was pretty frustrating. Yeah, no, it's it's really an important part of the type one structure that you call it out. And I relate it. Um, I relate to it myself. So I'll just throw in that I also grew up thinking that um, it was all up to me. Um, I, I had a... a 
um, a mom who died when I was five and my dad was a single father and there were four of us and I would say I often felt like I parented myself too. We were also left to ourselves quite a bit, but we, I, I um, packed my own lunches, made my own rules, signed my own you know, things that I needed for permission and, and all kinds of stuff like that. So I can see why it become it's so hard to put down because it's actually quite useful to us. And, um, and so Kim, I'm just wondering if you can add anything about how did this pattern help you to survive when you were growing up? How was it useful to you? Yeah, I think, um, certainly gave me the feeling of self-worth. Um, and I think as I, um, as you mentioned, we're all parents or many of us are parents and then how do we then try to do things differently than how we were parented I think I think a lot about um, getting it right now and how frequently it can be mirrored back to me but from my children that I'm actually gravely mistaken and that I'm not my way is not the only way um, and so that's sort of been my learning through them that um I may think there's a right way, and I certainly prescribe to that um, growing up, but that as a parent now, with the things that life has given me, I can't, I don't have the luxury of just being able to say there's only one right way. Mm-hmm. There are different ways. Right. And, you know, we have a lot of things psychologically that are going on inside of our, ourselves that make it hard to see that this stuff is going on, that this pattern is persisting. And the defense mechanisms, there are many of them, and we all use all of them, but there's there's one for each type that sort of hits the poster because it is something that we use so unconsciously uh, and re- consistently. And for type one, that's called reaction formation, which is a hard one to um, to grok, I think. But I will um, st- steal a definition that I heard from one of my teachers named Dale Rhodes a while ago. He's type four. And he said that reaction formation is like making a case for something, um, having an instinct for something first, and then very quickly, so quickly you don't even know you've done it, you're making a case for something else that would be better. And um, an example that works for me that is, is truer than I wish it was still be, can be that I go into a Gorder ice cream and I think I'm going to get... Um, you know, rocky road. And then very quickly, I think fat content and my body image. And before I know it, I've ordered the fat-free lemon sorbet and I feel good about it because I made a healthy choice. And that might even go all the way through me eating the fat-free lemon sorbet, except for that I have a type seven husband who we'll talk about type seven down the road here, but he doesn't have this issue. He has, he has other issues, but not that one. And he goes in there and he thinks Rocky road and extra everything and he gets it and he comes out fat and happy. And I am mad because I want what he has. And I don't even know that I wanted it until I see his thing. And that's how reaction formation works that we, we, we make a case against our, our very instinct. The thing that we, that we, want to to feel good and we override that in ourselves over and over and over again so that we we get very little pleasure and we get our heads down and we're working all the time and I'm just wondering um, Kim if I can you know ask you about do you do you recognize this uh, this defense mechanism operating inside yourself do you recognize how you deny yourself pleasures can you add to that yes absolutely Kim, why don't we do that right after this short break? I'd love to share a quote before we go um, by Susan Olesek. She says, we have faith enough in this work to do it for free. And many times we do just that, but we don't want to deplete the passion behind this effort before it comes to fruition. We are raising what we need, not just to survive, but to thrive. The work of self-realization is no quick fix. That's not how it happens. This is lifelong work. 
To that end, the more carefully we lay the foundation for curriculum tailored to this population, gather Enneagram facilitators who are well prepared for the environment of prison, and the more prepared we are to financially support this well-intentioned effort, the more people we'll be able to reach. We are all about providing the incarcerated with the internal, psychological, and emotional resources we and they need to set forth an extraordinary caliber of transformative work. These are the words of my guest today, Susan Olesek, and she is here launching this amazing nine-month series for us all that we will meet every fourth Thursday of the month on Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio in the coming year. So be sure to mark your calendars and you can find out more about the Enneagram Prison Project and the schedule and Susan's work at EnneagramPrisonProject.org and SusanOlesek.com. We will be right back after these messages. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you know that you were born to experience revolutionary wellness? Have you wondered why extraordinary physical, mental, and emotional health has eluded you? Do you know that your infinite personal power resides right here in the present moment? People all over the world are awakening to their birthright. Revolutionary Wellness. Subscribe today at revolutionarywellnessmagazine.com and begin your journey into the mystery. Engage with experts in topics of nourishment, wisdom, and empowerment. Develop mental clarity. Live wholeheartedly and be empowered to live an authentic life of passion and purpose. The world, now more than ever, needs you to feel revolutionarily well. Explore and integrate new ways of being. Learn to access your own unique treasure, the wisdom that is right there inside you, waiting to be revealed. Experience a renewed, vivid, and nourishing relationship with yourself and the world around you. Log on and subscribe to Revolutionary Wellness Magazine today and experience the publication devoted to your journey toward extraordinary health and well-being. RevolutionaryWellnessMagazine.com Do you find yourself caring for people in multiple generations? Are you exhausted, stressed, and overwhelmed? Instead of spending hours searching for resources and information, Dr. Merrill and her guests will provide you with practical, everyday information and solutions to help make your life easier. Tune into Caught Between Generations, Thursdays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. listening to Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. Rochelle is a clinician of mind-body medicine, lifestyle change, and self-healing. She is a life mentor, author, and publisher of Revolutionary Wellness Magazine. You can reach Rochelle at experiencerevolutionarywellness.com. Now back to Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. We like what we know, and consciously or unconsciously, we have a real knack for finding our way back there, even when there is not where we want to be at all. These are the words of my guest today, Susan Olesek, and you can connect with Susan and sign up on her mailing list and get updates and support the EPP at EnneagramPrisonProject.org and SusanOlesek.com. Welcome back, everyone. I'm just going to let you dive right in, Susan. You know right where you're you're, uh, at. Yeah, I want to just pick up 
with you, Kim, about um, the way that we deny ourselves pleasure and using reaction formation to, um, to sort of keep ourselves from what we're wanting. Do you relate to that? I absolutely do, and I absolutely relate with your example of food, which happens to me frequently, whether it's with ice cream or with any other um, meal that I choose at a restaurant. Um, But I also recognize that I uh, rationalize in my mind frequently that as much as I would love to go for to go to exercise, to go to a yoga class, I will um, certainly uh, not prioritize it if I feel that there is a something that I am obligated to be doing, taking care of my children or completing a um, a writing for my job. And so I feel like sometimes being so highly self-controlled and um, rigid just makes me angry because I'm denying myself really what I want to be doing. Right. And then the anger can come up and it lands outward. Is that, is that what happens for you? Yes. Um, I don't even often, I have to really take the te- my temperature on my anger because I don't often even realize it's there. It's, it's just below the surface. And um, it kind of uh, flows out in what I call the volcano. And I've <laughs> gotten better at saying to my children, okay, if you don't want mine to explode, then we better snap to it, guys. Mm-hmm. So, I'm aware now when um, it is surfacing. Yeah. Not that I can always um, diffuse it, but I can, I'm a little bit more aware of it. Yeah. Well, just being conscious of it is a big step, just knowing it. And often it's held in our bodies. You know, this stuff gets held at the cellular level. Ones we we often feel it in our shoulders and our jaw. We get really kind of, my, (laughs) my colleague Suzanne calls it the clamp. We just get kind of all on lockdown and we don't even know we're there in the beginning. It's just sort of underground. Um, and Sue, I, I'm just going to tell a, just a really sweet memory I have of talking with you about reaction formation. And I'm sure you'll remember this. We were talking about how one morning you woke up when you were incarcerated and you went to knock on the door of some people that you'd become very close to and they had been moved. And um, and you were reporting this back to me and you said in a very type one way, well, you know, that's it's jail. Like, what do you expect? Like, this is what happens. And, you know, we just sort of soldier on. And I, th- I saw myself in you at that moment because I, I remember many, many things that didn't uh, hurts and disappointments that I, I didn't really think I could do anything about. And I just did really a good job of soldiering on. But I could I could feel in you and sharing that just with a lot of compassion how sad it was to have that disappointment and that loss that you were um, that you were faced with that morning. And I remember talking about this with you. And do you remember do you remember what I'm describing? Yes. Yeah. And then the so the reaction formation happens with like I don't even feel the hurt or the sadness or the loss of what I would like, which is to be connected to my people. Instead, I just move right on to do the right thing, which is to you know deny myself any even having that feeling in the first place. Can you can you share some of your your perspective on that? Uh, sure. Yes. Um, well, in in my personality type, I. I, you know, like, there's no use in crying over spilt milk. It's like, time to move on. Don't feel it. Um, You can't change it. And a lot of people would say that's a good thing. But um, I wouldn't give myself a chance to feel the sorrow or the anger. I would just suppress that all inside myself Mm -hmm. and move on to something else. Mm -hmm. And like I said, um, you know, you can only hold down so much of this kind of thing inside you. And it's going to come out somewhere, somehow, mm-hmm. uh, in, in anger, rage, uh, substance abuse, uh, uh, 
verbal abuse or, or something. It's going to escape. And I did that for many years, and it's a habit. So even in jail, yeah, sure, I was really sad. It was like um, they were in there. I was in there for 14 months, <laughs> and they were there for like six months. They were my next-door people, and they were gone. <laughs> and there's, they were just gone. And uh, you don't get a reason. You're in jail. It just You just do what you're told to do, and, um, and that's what I did. So uh, it helped me by talking to you to have a chance to have some sorrow, to have some grief and feel it and know that it was okay to feel that way. And then I was able to move on a lot easier. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things I've learned through the personality uh, classes that I've taken more about my own personality. It's not that it's going to be gone. It's not that I'm getting rid of it. It's my personality. I've had it my whole life. It's not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. But what I'm learning how what I'm learning how to do, and I do it every day, is I'm learning how to cope with it, how to make better changes and choices, and that's why I wanted to get involved with it after I was released because I really think. I was in there. I was with those women, and I saw them come back over and over and over again. And there was never any change. And it used to drive me crazy. I would think, what's going on? What? And I did start to see a change when you, you came in and started teaching the classes. And the women started taking it, and they started to take the time to learn more about themselves and why they react the way they do, why I react the way I do. Um, gosh, I could really see... I could really see that they were enjoying learning about themselves and improving themselves, and and I was too. And um, just to end on this, if it's all right. Um, mm-hmm. Of course. When Kim, when Kim was talking about her mother-in-law and the dishwasher, I'm house-setting for a friend, and I would have stacked the firewood perfectly if somebody was house-setting for me. And this firewood was all over the place. And I really had to take a step back yesterday and say, okay, well, it's, a, it's not that big a deal. I'll just get enough firewood to make it while I'm here. In the past, I would have went out in the middle of the night, and I would have stacked the firewood perfectly, brought it all in perfectly, and I would have been really, really angry about having to do that. <laughs> so, I mean, it's like I, I saw that as a real improvement and <laughs> the way I dealt with something. It is a real improvement, and I totally agree with you. It is one. I'm so happy. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I, I think that, uh, well, I'm relating so much and, and also just wanting to give you a chance to respond to some of that, Kim. Like, I know that when we know these patterns, we start to be able to observe ourselves and we start to make changes. How has, you, how has knowing the Enneagram been impactful for you or, or helpful for you in your life? It's given me a lot more compassion for myself. I think um, it was a, I, when I first started learning about my personality type, I was really impatient and just really wanted to uh, fix it. And, right. Um, well, why can't I just get that right? And um, I started just giving myself a little bit more um, of breathing room to say, okay, well, if I'm acknowledging it, that's the first step towards changing it and having the compassion to know that, that, there, that I wouldn't always get it right and that that was okay. Um, that there were lots of ways to do things. And yeah. that it was just okay to be different. 
Yeah, and it's a big deal to have self-compassion, especially for type one, you know, just accepting that it is the way it is, is the segue, I think, to being able to see the perfection in everything exactly as it is, even when people are dying or getting incarcerated or what have you, like there is sort of a a higher thing, energy holding all of it together. And um, Rochelle, I just want to really make room for you too, if you have questions or if there are things that you were observing or wanting to throw in here to our conversation oh it's so beautiful listening to you all and just the examples you share it's very um just uh so personal and it makes a lot of sense because you're sharing all these amazing personal experiences i am i know you've spoken about this a bit but you i wonder if we could talk of just a bit more about the observer practices like are there specific um practices of awareness that you're incorporating as you're, you know, engaging with this tool, um, the Enneagram tool, if anyone, you know, would be up for sharing a little bit about that. Yeah, well, I'll say a little bit about what I teach, which is pretty rudimentary, honestly. And mm-hmm. I think maybe that's uh, that's how I am because I'm not super trained in any one modality. I listen to a lot of different teachers. But I think the most important thing is that you breathe in, you breathe out, you watch yourself, you create some space, you see what happens. You present to what arises. You let it go as it comes up. And I think that um, there are many, many ways to work with this energy and many beautiful teachings. But the most important thing, I think, is to create some space between the reactivity and what you want to do and the part of you that can see that. And so that and when you create more space there, as, as Viktor Frankl would say, is that you, and there's a freedom in the pause and then I can do something different. So if somebody screams at me and my automatic reaction is to yell back and I can pause for a second when someone's yelling at me and breathe back down whatever reactivity it creates inside of me and then maybe actually the best thing to do is to yell right back. Maybe that is necessary. But doing that with a grounded, present awareness of myself is entirely different than just going on automatic. I remember hearing um, in a parenting class once, and I try to um, chant this to myself in moments when I really need it, and that is, don't take the bait, meditate. And I think that applies <laughs> to how to handle teenagers, as well as toddlers, as well as um, adult relationships that can be challenging. And I think um, to be able to stop and pause, as, as Susan said, and to really breathe through it. Um, just reduces the tense, tension and, and uh, stress. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Sue, anything you want to add? Uh, no, I, I, well, yes. Um, I think for my type, um, the serenity prayer is, uh, speaks volumes because it really brings it all home and, and makes you think, um, is this worth my energy? Is it really going to make a difference? Is it really going to change anything? Um, Maybe it's better just to let it go. So I have my own spiritual journey, and I think that's important, too, because I think I believe in God. I'm a Christian, and I believe it all works together, and it's all self-improvement. And I meditate, and I breathe, and I use those techniques when I feel stress arising inside myself. And they really help. They really help to sit down and and focus on my own heart and breathe deep breaths and say my own prayers. 
And it always seems that I can make a much better decision after I've done that. And I just, I'm just really excited about everything I've learned. And thank you so much. Well, you're such a beautiful example of it, Sue. And for anybody that doesn't know that prayer, it goes, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And that kind of discernment is really what I've been witnessing you on the path with so much. You've been an awesome teacher for me, I would definitely add. Rochelle, anything else that is um, on your mind? No, we have, I would say, about one more minute before we move into the closing. Is there anything you'd like to say, Susan? Well, I'm just deeply appreciative of both Sue and Kim helping me to articulate the pattern because... Um, one of the earliest trainings I had is with a school called Enneagram Studies in the Narrative Tradition and where types really speak for themselves. And I love that approach. You know, you it's, um, it's really helpful to have people that see the world in this one way, illustrate it for the rest of us, and also um, to remind to remind us that there are eight other perspectives. So we have eight other points of view that will be coming up after this one. Once we can see our our trap uh, or our personal prison, I like to call it, um, and just acknowledge that it's there, that's the thing that allows us to get out from under it and um, kind of be the thing that we're hoping for, which is to be our own goodness and, you know, see the, the good in the world and be the good in the world. Remember that our, our goodness is really inherent. It's always been part of us. We don't have to earn our way. And um, in the beginning, that's kind of hard to know. But as we stay on the path, we can we, we get that more deeply. My guest today has been human potentialist Susan Olesek. And to learn more about her extraordinary work and our upcoming series on Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio, please visit EnneagramPrisonProject.org and SusanOlesek.com. Our next episode together in February will feature Type 8, the Protector Challenger. So mark your calendars and definitely want to tune in for that. Susan, it really has been so enlightening to have you and our guests Kim and Sue with us today on Revolutionary Wellness Talk talk radio and I'm very excited about our series and I feel so grateful to have the opportunity to share this platform with your incredible work so thank you so much thank you Rochelle look forward to seeing you in February Yes, I am looking forward to seeing you as well. And um, to all of our listeners, you will want to join me next week right here for an incredible conversation with MIT senior research scientist, Dr. Stephanie Seneff, on the topic of Roundup, the non-toxic herbicide that is destroying our health. Dr. Seneff will explain to us how glyphosate wreaks havoc on physiological systems. And Dr. Seneff makes the bold claim that Roundup is the key reason why the U.S. is experiencing a crisis in healthcare costs today. So definitely tune in for that conversation. It is such a pleasure to be here with you all once again on Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. Thank you so much for joining me on this journey. Until next time, I'm Rochelle McLaughlin. May you be well. Thank you for opening your heart and mind to a new way of being to greater degrees of self-compassion and wellness, and your experience of your own infinite potential with Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. Join host Rochelle next Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern Time to turn courageously toward your own unique experience of health and wellness here on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Remember, you too can experience revolutionary wellness.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.